Would you please pray with me? Loving God, you have so made us that we cannot live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from your mouth. Give us a hunger for your word, and in that food satisfy our daily need. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. The second lesson this morning comes from the Gospel of Luke. I will read 23, verses 33 through 43. It is the story of Christ's crucifixion. When they came to the place that is called the skull, they crucified Jesus there with the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they cast lots to divide his clothing And the people stood by watching, but the leaders scoffed at him, saying, he saved others, let him save himself. He is the Messiah of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine, and saying, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanged there kept deriding him and saying, Are you not the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do not fear God, since you are the same under the sentence of condemnation. And we indeed have been condemned justly, for we are getting what we deserve for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come in your kingdom. He replied, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be to God. Friends, today is Christ the King Sunday, or Reign of Christ Sunday. It marks the end of the Christian year and brings us once again to the threshold of Advent, the season when we await the coming of Christ. Reign of Christ Sunday is the day when we celebrate that Christ reigns supreme, that Christ's truth judges falsehood, that Christ is the Alpha and the Omega. As sovereign ruler, Christ calls us to a loyalty that transcends every earthly claim on our hearts, an allegiance to God alone. He calls us to stand with those who in every age confessed, Christ is Lord. Throughout our history, the church has needed to reaffirm this confession. So we say some version of this confession every week in worship. You find it in the affirmation of faith, as well as in so many of the hymns that we sing. There have also been extraordinary times in the history of our church when the Church of Christ has been on the verge of losing its way, usually by following too much the sway of politics. Our book of confession tells this story, and in in its preface, 
it explains that confessions of faith often result from a sense of urgency to correct some distortion of the truth and claim of the gospel that threatens the integrity of the church's faith. So, for example, in 1934, to strengthen the church's resolve not to accommodate Hitler's national socialism, the theological declaration of Barman confessed the lordship of Christ in every sphere of life. The Confession of 1967, adopted by our denomination in that year, was built around a single passage of scripture that in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. This confession was written to recommit the church to the reconciling work of Christ, especially in the arenas of race relations, class conflict, and the relationship between men and women. The Confession of Belhar, the most recent confession to be adopted by our denomination, arose in conscientious response against the system of apartheid in South Africa that separated people by race. The Book of Confessions is our denominational story, and it is incomplete. That we must reaffirm our confession that Jesus Christ is Lord assumes that in every generation, systems and sometimes demagogues emerge to claim an allegiance that belongs only to God. It is especially at those times that if we don't want to lose our way, we must be critically aware of not only our prejudices, but also our desires. What is it that we desire? Because I ask this because our desires are often the very thing by which we can be manipulated. Some of the things we desire are things that would gratify us personally, things like good paying jobs, the sense that we are right, a feeling of belonging, entitlement, security, really anything that we think makes up a good life. Other things that we consider good that could be put to use for the good of not just you and me, but a lot of other people, things like influence, power, and position. These goods can be instrumental in helping, even saving many others. If you recall, These were the good things with which Satan tried to tempt Jesus at the start of Jesus' public ministry. When Jesus was still in the desert, having spent 40 days fasting and praying, Satan appears and says to him, If you are the Son of God, why should you be hungry? Why should anybody be hungry? If you are the son of God, why should you ever get hurt? If you are the son of God, shouldn't you have all the power and authority to do all the good that you want for the world? Now, at the end of his life, we hear the same proposal that we first heard in the desert. It is echoed by the leaders of the Jews and the Roman soldiers who mock Jesus saying, If you are the son of God, 
Why are you hanging on the cross? Save yourself. Each of Satan's attempts to manipulate Jesus began with this proposal. Satan would like nothing more than to twist and pervert what it means to be the Son of God. Amen. What it means to be divine. Author Anadella Subin has written a book entitled Accidental Gods on the phenomena of human beings who have unwittingly turned divine. Full of stories drawn from the accounts of Europe's sailors, soldiers, and scholars, as well as islanders, chieftains, and shamans whose lands were colonized by European imperialists, the book shows how the phenomenon of deification played a role in the age of building empires. One such story she tells is that of Christopher Columbus. One night, after five weeks on the open sea, Christopher Columbus sighted a campfire on land. Guided by this light, he anchored his ship next, the next day off the coast. Having seen his ship from far away, curious islanders came to see what he and his crew were about. They threw themselves into the sea swimming and came to us, Columbus wrote in his diary on October 14, 1492. Quote, we understood that they asked us if we had come from heaven. One old man came into the boat and others cried out in a loud voice to come and see the men who had come from heaven. Hundreds surrounded the admiral and begged him to take them aboard his craft, thinking the divinities would soon return to the sky. Later journal entries indicate that Columbus was again hailed as a celestial deity. This mistake happened island after island. Surprising him most was that the conquest of territory came so much easier in the presence of this mistake. No opposition was offered to me, Columbus wrote, as he found island after island. From the 15th century on, the sailors, the missionaries, and settlers who followed in Columbus's footsteps collected many accounts of Europeans being mistaken for gods. The stories tell of colonial officers, soldiers, and bureaucrats who became irritated to find themselves worshipped as living deities. And yet there is no doubt that as Europe explored the earth in quest of wealth and territory, the phenomenon of deification played a role in legitimizing conquests. And as stories about men turning into gods became circulated by the colonizers, those stories became a means of holding on to territories ever on the verge of slipping away. Deification, even by accident, was exploited. That deification was a tool of statecraft was nothing new. In the decades after the crucifixion of Christ, just as the Gospels were being composed and circulated, the divinization of Roman emperors had become so expected that Emperor Vespasian, as he lay on his deathbed in 79 CE, quipped, oh dear, I think I'm becoming a god. So it is against this backdrop 
that we are to contemplate the question that Christ the King Sunday raises. What do we mean when we confess that Jesus is Lord? Gaining clarity around this confession was very important to the Apostle Paul. Perhaps it is because even he and his fellow mission co-worker Barnabas found themselves mistaken as pagan gods in Rome. While Paul preached the mystical possibility and hope that all humankind could become like Christ, he went to great pains to distinguish the divinity of Jesus from the deified pagan gods of Rome. Christ transcended earthly politics, and he did so by humbling himself as no earthly king would do. In his letter to the Philippians, Paul includes this hymn, confessing just who Christ is. You know this hymn. Though he was in the form of God, he did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness, and being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God also highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bend in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Paul, the other apostles, and the early Christians after them wrestled to give new meaning to the titles of Son of God, Divine Savior, King, Redeemer, Liberator, Shepherd. Giving these titles to a man whom Rome had executed as a criminal, they redefined what true divinity looks like, a person who so humbled himself in order to raise other people. Clearly, the question of Christ's divinity was so hotly contested with some views branded as heresies that in 325 CE, the Emperor Constantine gathered 2,000 bishops at the Council of Nicaea to define officially the distinctive nature of Jesus' divinity. Today, it is hard to wrap our minds around those theological arguments and what was at stake in them. But every now and then, something comes up in our world that reminds us to pay attention in all seriousness to how we confess the Lordship of Jesus. Every now and then we hear proposals that exploit Christ's divinity, Christ's equality with God for some self-serving, less than holy purpose. Each generation of the church must be ready to know the difference. Thankfully, Jesus had such clarity on what it means to be the Son of God, that as Son of God, he is both shepherd and lamb, both prince and slave. Hallelujah. Beholding our Lord hanging on the cross then, we confess, yours is the kingdom the power, and the glory forever. Amen.